five chapters of the book of Acts today. You know, we, this is a 12-week series called The Mission. We're really aiming at upping the level of our own mission. And by doing that, we're looking at the mission of the early church as described in Acts. And, and through 10 of the 12 weeks, we've covered 15 chapters, and, and there's 28 chapters in the book. So we're going to do a flyby in the last two weeks and finish up before the Advent season. The Acts of the Apostles, it's really a diary of the mission of the early church. The chapters today primarily, primarily chronicle the activities of the Apostle Paul. Luke, a traveling companion of Paul, writes it. Now other apostles went elsewhere. That's not recorded in Scripture. But they had significant ministries as far as we can tell. But the Scripture records the one apostle, mainly, that Luke traveled with who, who wrote it. Today, the mission continues here. The Holy Spirit is still on the move. And we have an opportunity to participate. What an honor. If you take a step back, what an honor. Imagine if the president asked you to be an ambassador to another country. What an honor that would be. Well, God has called you and I to be ambassadors to all whom he sends us to. An ambassador of Christ. Please bring up the first slide. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. All the slaves that are walking around us, slaves to sin. Jesus said anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so we find ourselves, as others have found themselves through the centuries, surrounded by people who are slaves, slaves to sin. In many cases, they want their slavery because they don't know what real freedom is. Our job is to let them know. And there's opposition. There's a war going on for the souls of men and women. It's freedom versus slavery. And the slaveholders don't want to let go. For you and I, ambassadors, there is no diplomatic immunity in this war. But God protects us, even in the midst of persecutions. With all this in mind, we resume in the book of Acts. We see how the early church lived out their outward focus, especially Paul and his companions. They were seeking to accomplish the mission that God gave them. May we do the same. All right, the text, starting in Acts chapter 16. We are introduced to Timothy, who became Paul's protege, as far as we can tell. He eventually writes two letters to Timothy that the church recognized as Scripture. Then we read about Paul and his companions. Barnabas has been replaced by Saul at this point. And they're really trying to be led by God. They're just not deciding, well, let's do, let's do this or let's do that. But they are seeking to be led by God as illustrated by this passage in Acts 16, starting with verse 6. They're on the move now. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, 
Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they are very interested in following God's will. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go to Bithynia, but they kept in motion. And then Paul had a short vision of a man from Macedonia. Some of the visions I've heard are much longer than this, but just the guy saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Their conclusion that that was supernatural revelation designed to guide them and that they were called to preach the gospel there. See, that man in the vision wanted help. The best way to help them is to give them the good news of the gospel, the key to eternal life. Then they go to Philippi, looking for God-seekers. There doesn't seem to be a significant synagogue in Philippi, so they gather outside the gate where they supposed there was a place of prayer. Well, there was a, a bunch of women there, and so they spoke to the women. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but in those days, that was a, that was a much bigger deal. Men didn't necessarily talk to women like that. It was beneath them. Paul, <clears throat> today is often accused as being, not often, but sometimes accused as being anti-women. Excuse me. <clears throat> but no, not at all. He speaks to this group of women and there's some receptivity. The Lord opened the heart of one of them, Lydia, and she and her household believed. And then one day, following that, on their way to the place of prayer, they do a deliverance for a slave girl that cost their owners a lot, cost her owners a lot. The slave girl was following Paul, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And after a while, Paul, for whatever reason, got annoyed and told the unclean spirit and the slave girl to leave. Now, she had a spirit of divination. She could predict some events in the future. And her owners got, a lot, got, got some good money out of, out of that. So when this happened, when their means of profit was removed, were, uh, they were very upset. It would be like today, a beautiful sex slave getting set free. The owner would be quite unhappy. So the owners retaliate and criminalized Paul and Silas with false charges. They were beaten extensively with rods and thrown into prison. At midnight, they were praying and singing. And the text says the prisoners were listening. I'll bet they were listening. These guys have been beaten severely, and they're in prison and they're singing and praising God. About that time, an earthquake happened. It shook the whole place. All the doors in the, in the jail opened up. The jailer saw that the doors were open, and he figured, I'm toast. Penalties were severe for allowing prisoners to escape. So he went for his sword and was going to commit suicide. Paul says, don't do it. We're all here. And then this happened. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. With, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. 
And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Now I'm not sure what he meant by what must I do to be saved. I think that he was referring to his own neck. What's he, what, how is he going to be saved having this trouble in the prison? But Paul answers a different question, or they answer a different question. He tells them how to be saved for eternal life. And this is the result. And he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. And so it, it, it went well. It went well. There was no official apology from the magistrates, and they departed. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Paul's vision of the man from Macedonia was actually this jailer. Come over and help us. And when Paul wrote his letter to the Philippians, again and again he tells them to rejoice. Realizing he writes that as a man who's severely beaten there. And they knew it. He'd been beaten severely there. And he writes to them and says several times, Rejoice. After telling them two times to rejoice, he writes this to the church in Philippi. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Striking, considering his background. Then Paul and Silas head to Thessalonica, where Paul went to a synagogue. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So it was going well, but opposition arose in Thessalonica, and the brothers sent them, quick, sent them by night to Berea, where they again went to a synagogue. And this is what happened there. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. It's still noble to examine the Scriptures to check. However, Jews from the previous city came agitating and stirring up the crowds. It caused enough trouble that their brothers escorted them out and sent them to Athens. There, he again went to the synagogue and, and marketplace. Some of the local philosophers conversed with him and put him up to speak at the Areopagus, which is where people talked about various things. Now, we've covered some of Paul's sermons and synagogues and to Jews, and here he's going to be speaking to a, a Greek crowd. This is a Gentile crowd with a good flavoring of, of the two classic philosophers of, of, of those days. Now, I want you to notice how different he speaks in this particular context, he's not going to make the references to the Old Testament that he has again and again when speaking in the synagogues, but he's speaking a language they can understand, quoting their own philosophers and poets. Notice the difference in the way he approaches this outreach. 
So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the, by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands, commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so a very secular approach here, designed to designed to reach them, designed to make a difference. Not a synagogue sermon, but, but uh, customized for the Greek audience. Then Paul and his companions take off for Corinth. And he, goes, he went to the synagogue every Sabbath with conversions on his mind. He was opposed and reviled, and finally he announced he would go to the Gentiles. Well, he went next door and stayed next door to the synagogue. However, the ruler of the synagogue believed, along with his household and many other Corinthians. And then Jesus speaks to Paul in the midst of the troubles he's having in Corinth. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. We stayed 18 months but not before another attempt was made to criminalize his life failed. Then he goes to a number of places, strengthening all the disciples. Eventually he gets to Ephesus, where he finds some disciples. Paul discovers their unfamiliarity with the Holy Spirit. He lays his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit comes on them. They begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. Paul stays two years. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And then news of this goes around and there were seven sons of a priest named Sceva who decided to get in on this. And so they wanted to do a deliverance on someone who was demon-possessed, demon-oppressed. Uh, and they tried, but they weren't believers and this man that was, that was demon-possessed overpowered all of them, beat them up, and they left wounded and naked. And that stirred up things so much in that city that many believed. And those, that had, those in the magic arts burned their books. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevailed mightily. Then another economic-caused attack it was a riot in Ephesus. The, the impact of the faith had a financial effect. Those impacted used religious reasons to instigate a riot. What happened was 
a silversmith named Demetrius said, you know, talking to his colleagues, we're losing money because these guys are saying that these silver things we make aren't God's. And this is hurting our business. This is, this is going to be detrimental to our wealth. So he stirs them up, and then they use, they use a religious cover, religious reasons to start a riot that goes on for, for quite some time until it finally settles down. All right, continuing on. I know this is fast, but there's a point to all of this. Acts 20 records Paul traveling with various companions. At one point, he's speaking so long in a place that he gets to midnight and there's a guy named Eutychus sitting in the windowsill and he falls asleep and falls over and he falls some distance and he looks to be dead. But Paul says, Paul goes out there and looks him over and says, oh, he's not dead. It looks like he was raised from the dead. Paul travels some more and eventually meets one last time with the elders at Ephesus to say goodbye. He recalls his ministry to them and mentions his future, a trip to Jerusalem. And he says, I will not see you again. I fulfilled my responsibility to you. And he gives some instructions to them. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock, caring for them. Why? Fierce wolves will come, some from you, men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples. He instructs them to be alert. He commends them to the Lord. He says, I was not in it for the money. I worked hard. I led by example, by working hard and helping the weak. And they say their final goodbyes. All right. What are some takeaways? There's many things that could be said about the various events. And I'm going to focus on three. If you take away these three things from this morning, that would be a good thing. The first is look for guidance from God. All this that Paul went through, he was looking for guidance. Now, I don't know how the Holy Spirit stopped him or the Spirit of Jesus hindered him. And sometimes it's hard to tell. Is this God slowing? Is this God hindering me? Or is this Satan trying to block me? Like now, sometimes it's difficult to tell that. But it's worth the effort to try to discern. And if it's the Spirit of Jesus that's holding you back, then you hold back. And if it's the enemy of your soul trying to hold you back, you don't hold back. You don't get intimidated. But you go forward like Paul. All the persecutions I just described to you, all the troubles you went to, being beaten with rods was a serious thing. And, and, and the other troubles he had, those kind of troubles did not indicate that he was outside of the will of God. Sometimes we conclude that because things are tough, somehow we missed God. Don't fool yourself with thinking like that. You may be in trouble because of something you did or because of something that the enemy has done. It's not necessarily God. So we, we cannot conclude that trouble comes from God when we run into trouble. So, we ought to be seeking God like, like Paul and his companions sought and looking for guidance in whatever way it comes. In his case, it came supernaturally. He had a revelation. The man of Macedonia. 
come over and help us. And his conclusion was, even though it was just a brief vision, that that was God's will and he went forward. And so he leaves us an example. It's better to seek God and try to follow him rather than just make our own plans. Rather than making our own plans and asking God to bless them, how about if we seek God what his plans are and then get in on them? And if there's trouble, it's okay. It's okay. God will protect you. First takeaway. Second takeaway. Be persistent. Again and again, Paul went forward on his mission. Now, there's a tendency when things aren't going well, it's like, well, enough of this. I've, I've had it. Have you ever felt that way? No, this isn't working. I've had it. But when you're being led by God, don't give yourself that option. Be persistent. When Paul was in a city and, the, and sometimes it got so bad he had to leave, so what did he do? He went to the next city and did it again. And he customized his approach. If it was in the synagogue, he spoke one way, appealed to the Old Testament, he spoke from the Scriptures, talked about the Messiah, language they could understand. When he went to a secular place, totally different approach. Quotes their own, own people. And then ties it all together and says there's a man that God has sent to solve all of this. And so the point is, he just kept at it. He, didn't, he never abandoned his mission. See, God has a mission for you and I. The book we're studying is called The Acts of the Apostles. When in many ways, you could call it The Acts of the Early Church. And we're just part of that. We're not the early church anymore, but we're part of what, what's come down through history. And we join in the church and we join in the mission of the church. And that is to proclaim freedom to the slaves we find all around us. The slaves, that don't even, they don't even know they're slaves because they've never known freedom. And us, who have, been, who have found freedom, part of our mission is to proclaim freedom to them. And it could be by handing some hot chocolate. Now, that's not a direct proclamation of the gospel, but it's showing kindness that catches people as attention. As Anita said, there's folks that come by like every year now. They're, they want their hot chocolate, and there's little mini traffic jams form in front here with people waiting for us to run out and give them hot chocolate. And, 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 uh, or, or this outreach that Mike talked about at the, at the local boys' prison. That's what the Illinois Youth Center is where we sing some Christmas carols and they get kind of a little looser, then we, then we talk to them and there's, there's opportunities to try to move them towards faith. Or if they're already in the faith, move them forward in the faith. And that's proclaiming the gospel. And so we're trying here more and more to, pre to present opportunities for you know, organized church outreach like this. But it's good to, to, just to be alert on our own, to go out and be persistent now, the threat is, there's a threat of being rejected. There's a threat of being thought, ill thought of. And those are live possibilities. But regardless of what, what form persecution takes against you and I, we should set our hearts to be persistent and to live lives worthy of His name and to keep going and to keep going and to keep going. 
and not to give up. The third takeaway out of many possible takeaways out of these five chapters, but the third takeaway is to pay careful attention to yourself. When Paul was speaking his final words to the elders at Ephesus, he said this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Now the second part of that applies to leaders in the church. Saying, pay attention to what you're doing. Don't be sloppy. But the first part is for all of us. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Now you can pay careful attention to yourself in several ways. But the point I want to emphasize this morning is pay attention to yourself and don't neglect your mission. If you don't know what your mission is, find out. Just ask God. It doesn't necessarily mean going somewhere else and, and being a missionary or being a pastor. It doesn't, they're, they're people, God calls people to all kinds of things. You could be a godly person in your workplace or in your school or in the store where you're getting something on sale this season. Just everywhere you go. So we should be paying careful attention to ourselves, not neglecting our mission. Don't waste your life. I don't want to waste my life. This is our chance. This is our chance to participate in the mission. The problem is, is that it's can be easy to fall in love with the present world. A lot of distractions. God blesses us with a lot of good things and we can kind of maybe sometimes like them a little bit too much and lose focus on our mission. It happens today. It happened then. Paul had a traveling companion. He's mentioned twice in some of Paul's letters that he was traveling with him. He had a traveling companion. His mission's name was Demas. This is one of the last things that Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. This is sad. He gave up his mission because he was in love with the present world. Now we are really blessed here in this place, in this country. Falling in love with the present world is easier for us than for many throughout history and easier for us than for many in other parts of the world than that don't have the things to fall in love with that we do. And so we, we need to be paying careful attention to ourselves that we don't get distracted, that we don't get distracted from the mission that God has given to us, that we don't waste our lives, but live lives worthy of His name. I ask you, how are you doing on your mission? I know, I'm trying to up my game 
I don't know how many years I have left. Nobody here knows that. Why don't we just make the best use of them? Why don't we just go for it? When you get to the end, why don't you just leave it all on the field? Isn't that a good way to finish up? Just leave it all out there on the field. Having given your best shot at accomplishing the mission that God has given to you. Like I said, I'm trying to up my game. I invite you to do the same. Please rise. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come upon us to empower us for mission. Pray, Lord, for those of us that need a better idea of your mission for them, that you would let them know. Speak to them in some fashion. How? We leave that up to you, O Lord. Let them know. And give them a heart to seek you to know that. And then, Lord, we ask for your empowering for the mission, anointing that it would go well, that we would bear good fruit, and protection along the way. We need your mercy and protection, O oh Lord. So, Lord, come, Holy Spirit, and empower us to be fruitful ambassadors of Christ. Come, come, Lord. We need you to help us. We know we can't do this on our own, it's too hard. Come, Holy Spirit, and empower us. Give us the grace and courage to do this. Be our glory and a lifter of our heads. Come, Lord. Lord we, Lord, we may never have stuff written about us like the Apostle Paul did or books written about us like some of the great people of faith that walked before us. That doesn't matter. As long as we do well in your eyes and it's recorded in heaven, That'll be good enough. Lord, that you would be famous and not us. Lord, we want to leave here and go about our days aiming for the 
greater glory of God and the well-being of souls. Be with us, O Lord. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.